Welcome to the Prospering Soul Podcast. This limited series is all about how to take care of your soul and how to make sure you understand the ways to be healthy and balanced in life. In this series, John Metert, lead pastor of Cross City Church, sits down to explain one of the most important secrets of his own spiritual growth and a detailed explanation of how people change. Hello and welcome to our Prospering Soul podcast. This is Pastor John Metter, and I've really got a burden for people to be able to understand how to prosper in their soul and how dramatically that impacts every other area of our life. Your emotional health, your mental health, um, your, your physical health is even impacted by the, the health of your soul. So let's talk about where we've been in that first session, and we're looking at number two now, session number two, uh, about the prospering soul. And I promise you this, I promise you if you stick with this podcast, in the next couple of sessions you're going to find a way to grab hold of what I'm teaching you, and you'll find it life-transforming. So we've been talking about the prospering soul, and uh, I spent some time talking about understanding our nature Asking questions like, what is in you? What influences? What comes out of you? Uh, We talked about, what are we made up of? Man is trichotomic, is the statement I made. We're made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. So all of us have a body. We each have a spirit that influences us. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that influences us. If, If we are not believers in Jesus Christ, we have a human spirit uh, and that influences our soul. Now, the soul is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. So think about this sequence. The spirit influences the soul, and the soul influences the body. That is our actions, the things we say, the things we do. So I'm going to spend some time talking about which spirit influences you. So let's take another step into this, and, and let me make a statement for us. The natural man, the person that uh, has never been born again, the person who is just walking uh, on his own without a relationship with Jesus Christ, the natural man has a spirit that's a human spirit, but it's also, by the Bible's terminology, a spirit of death. So let me describe that to you out of Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul said this, and he's writing to Christians, and he says, "...and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins." in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Paul is talking about a spirit of death, and he's saying those without Christ, the natural people, the natural men and women, are dead in trespasses and sins, and they have a spirit, but it is, quote, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, close quote. So it's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible in 1 Peter and in 1 John also clarifies that there's two kinds of spirits or two kinds of seed, seed if you will, the seed of God and the seed of sin. In 1 Peter 1 it says, You've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. 1 John says, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, that is habitually, because he is born of God. So you've got a spirit. You've got a seed inside of your life if you're born again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to the creation of Adam and Eve. 
And, and look at what happened. Uh, most of us know when spiritual death took place in the Garden of Eden. You remember the story. God created the heavens and the earth, and he placed his first man and the first woman in the Garden of Eden. And they lived in innocence until they made a choice that was precipitated by temptation from Satan, from the evil one. And uh, so Satan tempted Eve, and Eve took of the fruit that was forbidden by God and offered it to Adam as well. So they, they really were changed at that moment. The Bible says that, that they were going to die spiritually at that moment. And when spiritual death occurred, man from that time on has been born in sin and in a sinful spirit, and he has lived according to the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. That's a verse we read a moment ago. So, all mankind has the spirit of death influencing his life. This is why people who don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives don't love others. That's why they don't love God. It's why they don't love each other well. It's why they have no real restraint in their lives. Some of them have discipline, and some of them have the ability to restrain themselves to some degree. But as a whole, you don't see that happening. Instead of that, those who have the spirit of death uh, man's spirit or the human spirit, uh, they harm each other. They, they hurt each other. They're confused about who they are. Sometimes they speak vile things. There's a difference in the spirit inside of them. And even though they have a same uh, makeup of mind, will, and emotions in their souls that believers do, the spirit in them is different. So natural man has that spirit of death. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, in that creation account, the Bible says that the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And God, we know now, was referring not to the physical death of Adam and Eve. Eventually they would die, but to the spiritual death. They were no longer innocent. They were no longer in tune, in sync with God. So Adam and Eve died, but not physically. Um, and so Adam's spirit was now the spirit of death. And he made his own choices, and he went his own direction and faced his own consequences. So let's look at this uh, from a statement I've written. The life-giving spirit, a human spirit that was innocent and capable of communing closely with God, uh, a spirit that was originally given, not tainted by sin and self, a human spirit capable of acknowledging the superiority of God's ways, now is dead in Adam and Eve. And as you read the creation account, you continue to see that, uh, that the nature of mankind, when it was passed to their sons, to Adam and Eve's sons, they were made in the image of Adam, not just the image of God. Now we're all made in God's image, but there's a difference. And that is that once we have given into sin in the Garden of Eden, we have sinful human spirits. So I hope you're still with me here. I hope I haven't lost you with this because this is very, very important. The scriptures teach that Adam and Eve were filled with a sensitive human spirit from creation and able to enjoy an unparalleled life and fellowship with God until sin and rebellion entered in at which point they died spiritually. So Adam died to the spirit that was placed in him by God. At the very least, Adam and Eve forfeited the life of unrestricted fellowship with God and the ability to please God continually. And the curse of that time frame, that curse of that sin, affects us today. 
And so from that moment on, man's been born into a different kind of spirit. It's a sinful spirit, not the innocent spirit. So that's how we get to mankind having that human spirit that is sinful. Adam's nature changed at the point of sin. He's still in the image of God, but now it's in a sinful image of God in the sense of capable of interacting with God, but sinful in its nature. The image was tainted. So come to the New Testament and you find Jesus saying this, a man must be born again. When a man is born again, it's not a bodily rebirth. Uh, my born again experience wasn't a new body. And if you've been born again, it's not a new body that you were given. You didn't crawl back up into your mother's womb. Your soul didn't get born again. That is, your mind, will, and emotions were still the same after you put your faith in Christ. But your spirit was born again. So what happened was Jesus took the spirit of death in each one of us when we came to him and invited him into our life, and he's given us the spirit of life. That's what happens at salvation, and that's why the gospel is such good news. Even though we don't get a new body at salvation, not yet, and even though our mind, will, and emotions still need to be transformed on a regular, ongoing basis, we have a brand new spirit. Man is born again into the spirit of life. Let me put it another way. What did you receive when you received Christ? Did Jesus physically walk into your life? No, he didn't. But Jesus did come into your life if you're born again. He came into your life by his spirit. Literally, Jesus put his spirit inside of you. He changed the nature of your spirit. And now today, as a believer, the spirit is at work in you to transform your mind and your thoughts, your will, and your emotions. And everything changes in the process of letting His Spirit influence you. Did it ever occur to you that most of our problems fall into the category of our thought life or our desires or how we feel? They fall into all those areas. And it's really very simple. It's a soul problem. Either we've not been taking care of the soul that God gave us and letting the spirit that lives in us influence us or we don't have the right spirit inside of us to influence the soul to do what we know is right. John 3 is that big born again experience that, uh, where Jesus and Nicodemus have this conversation and Jesus said to Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so immediately when we come to faith in Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and we are transformed day by day and week by week and year by year in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. So if you're born again, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is a, an illustration, there's a, there's a process and an illustration that I want to share with you that, that helps you be in sync with the Holy Spirit of God. I've got this little clock radio on my desk uh, that I've had for years and years, and I have one on my dresser at night, and uh, they're not really very accurate little radios as far as tuners go. They're not like a, uh, a modern-day digital stereo. It's an old-fashioned kind of thing, and it's got a little bitty tiny dial, and you really have to move your finger back and forth on that dial um, very carefully to get the get the station right, to get it in tune. Otherwise, you have all kinds of static. you got the wrong station or just static when you wake up in the morning. It's not a great thing. 
But when you adjust it in the right way, when you tune it just right, you can hear exactly what you want to hear with clarity, and you're influenced by what you hear. When I put that radio on a talk show, uh, and it comes on in the morning, then I hear a human voice talking to me over the radio in intelligible words, and, and, uh, and I know what to say because it's tuned in. Or if I tune it to music, then I get that music with clarity. Now, I've made kind of an elaborate illustration here, but taking care of the soul is very much like adjusting that tuner. When you tune into the Spirit of God so precisely that you hear Him with clarity, then it influences you. It washes over your mind, your heart, your will, and emotion. It, it influences every aspect of your life so that what comes out of your mouth and, and your actions are what they should be. And I've got great news for you. If you put your faith in Christ, then you've let the Spirit of God into your life. And if the Spirit of God is in your life, He is influencing your mind, will, and emotion. And there's only one consequence to that. When you let Him influence you well, then your body, your words, your actions will follow suit in a good way. So the Spirit influences, your mind, will, and emotions come into agreement, and your body lives it out. I'm going to give you some fantastic news right here. Here's the fantastic news. The Scripture tells us that we can be free from habitual sin. In fact, the Scripture tells us we ought to be free from habitual sin as believers. Now, I don't believe that God expects a person who has a bad habit in his life to keep walking in bondage to it. If you're an angry person and you've come to faith in Christ, you shouldn't be dealing with that anger for years and years and years because the power of the Holy Spirit is just too strong. And... He can influence you and change you the way you feel. And it's not just as simple as rebuking a demon. <laughs> Even though I, I do believe the Lord has given us the divine process by which we do that. But he also changes our want-tos, our thought life, our emotions when we're in tune with him. And then our bodies are more than willing to follow. So everything you do with your body is influenced by your mind, will, and emotions and that, in turn, is influenced by the spirit inside of your life. And stopping a bad habit is not as, as simple as chaining your arms to the chair. It's not a matter of programming yourself by willpower. You can't, by willpower or even personal desire, change your life. And some of us are sick and tired of trying. That's not how God intended things to work. You don't change by just trying. God gave us his spirit to change our lives. And the Holy Spirit is not here just to make us feel good. He's not here to entertain us. He's there to empower us to live the life of Jesus. He's there to empower us to not be discouraged, to not be angry. He's there to give us joy. He's there to give us peace. He's there to give us restraint and discipline, which makes for much better relationships and much better peace in life. Have you ever seen anyone who absolutely seemed to do everything right, everything that God wanted them to do and enjoyed it? And you probably thought to yourself, well, I, I might be able to do that for a while, but I don't really like doing it. <laughs> but there are some people I know who have walked in tune with God in such a way where their mind, will, and emotions are so affected that they absolutely love doing the right thing. It's become their life. And these are saints. These are believers who have been transformed. And that's what this Prospering Soul teaching is all about. How do we become transformed that way? And if you want to know how to do that, then you're on the right, on the right podcast. 
And if you'll make a commitment to learn this and to, to allow the Lord to transform you, you're going to see a very different kind of progress in your life. I've seen these principles affect my life over the years because I understood who it is that transforms me and how it is that he wants to work. I have to tell you, there have been long periods of time when I wanted to obey the Lord in certain areas of my life. I wanted to have a certain character about me or a certain moral approach to life, but haven't been able to do it. And I've set my mind to it, and I've tried. And when it doesn't work, I think, well, maybe I just don't love God. Maybe I don't love him enough. Maybe I don't, know have, I don't have enough faith, as some tell me. Maybe I need to learn to love him more or believe him harder. So I tried even harder, but it didn't work. And then I began to understand that God put his spirit in my life. He didn't put his spirit in my life so that I could go on without him and try to do it by myself. In fact, Paul rebuked the church at Galatia for doing that. He said, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? No, that's not it. And I began to realize that the relationship between spirit and soul was so strong that God began to change me the same way he can change you. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a verse that says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. When Jesus Christ, who is the last Adam, came into my life, he gives life to me. And that life helps me live like him. So that's a very, very important piece of this whole process of learning to walk with God. There's a divine process by which we are able to do that. I've read you the verse in 3 John. I've talked about prospering and what it means to be in good progress with your soul, with your mind, will, and emotions. And uh, we understand that we are trichotomic. We're body, we're soul, and spirit. And I hope that you understand all that because th those are really important principles for us to, to learn to walk by. So what's the process of obedience? If I'm going to learn how to do this, what's the process? So here's what the process is. The process of doing the right thing, the process of thinking the right way, the process of feeling the right way is a process that I believe the Bible has given us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we have a verse that really helps us with that. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. They were having all kinds of trouble. They weren't obeying well. It's a problem that a lot of people have. And he said this to them. He said, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to fleshly people, like, like babes in Christ. You're, you're immature. You're not walking the walk that the Spirit is leading you to walk. Uh, yet at the same time, he said, you are born of the Spirit. You're just not allowing the Spirit to lead you in your life. So in that same book, he says this. He asks a series of questions and gives some answers. I want you to try to personalize this for a moment. He says, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I hope you're listening and letting that break down for you. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then he makes the contrast. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, that he himself is judged by no one. 
So this may seem complicated, but let's try to simplify it. First of all, the divine process of obedience, the divine process of doing the right thing will be easy to establish. Once we're born again, the Bible teaches us that we have the Spirit of God in our lives. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the, the sons of God, the Bible says. So we know that one of the things that the Spirit does in our lives, in addition to basically doing the work of conversion, is a work of leading us. The, the Spirit does a lot of other things. He illuminates the Word of God. He, he indwells us. But the Scripture says that He leads us. So there's a leading of the Spirit. And that leading should ultimately translate into obedience or doing the right thing. So the Spirit leads us to do things, not just to be something. I think that's a very important part of pleasing the Lord, is to allow our faith in Jesus to translate into works, not to save us, but as a proof of our salvation, the proof of the power of God. So God's aim in leading us by His Spirit is to change us, is to lead us to be like Him. Now, many want to obey the Lord. They want to be like Christ, but they can't seem to do it. And they use what I've called earlier the try-hard method. And I promise you that you can try as hard as you want, just like I have, and it just won't work. Sometimes people try fasting and praying. They try to find different ways to discipline themselves. But I call it the try-hard method because basically it does just this. It, it takes the leading of the Spirit and tries to translate it directly into obedience, but bypassing the soul, the mind, will, and emotions, and just trying hard with our bodies or our, our mouths, and it just doesn't work. God gave us a soul so that soul can be transformed. So what we have to do is this. We must learn to come into agreement with our soul what the Spirit is leading us to do. Like that little radio tuner, we have to tune in to what God wants us to do. The Spirit leads, the mind, will, and emotions agree with what the Spirit is leading them to do, and that translates into doing the right thing. Though you don't really do it apart from your mind, it's been pretty well documented. And so it's really important for us to be transformed by our mind. So when I go back and look at that text I read to you a few moments ago, it identifies that process of obedience. You have received the Spirit of the, of, of, that's from God, not the Spirit of the world, so that you can know the things that God tells you to do. That's just a glimpse of that divine process uh, of obedience. <clears throat> so here's what I want to summarize for a moment. You've heard me talk with a little bit of detail about the spirit that leads us, the soul, the mind, will, and the emotions that come into sync or into tune with that, and that it will actually translate into obedience. Uh, it'll translate into doing the right things. Let me give you an illustration to kind of crystallize that. When I was 19 years of age, uh, I was an angry young man. And by angry, I meant that I would lose my temper in a radical way. Uh, I would be, become violent. I would hit things, occasionally hit people. Uh, I would shout. I, would, I, would, I remember hitting my car rearview mirror uh, on the interior of my car and just breaking it and shredding it, my knuckles in the process, because I'd lost a basketball game. Uh, a few hours before, I was just so upset with myself, and I just couldn't seem to control my temper. And there's no doubt I had a, hab a habit of this temper in my life, and, but I was a believer, and I didn't think that I should continue to act like that. And I began to uh, be very convicted by that. And at some point, I took several verses of the Bible that talk about anger, 
For example, in the book of Ephesians, it says, Be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil an opportunity. Now, that's a pretty bold verse. So I thought, wow, that's a good thing to remember when I'm about to be angry. And there's another one in the, in the book of James. It's, it's, uh, it's James 1 where it says, For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And I really did want to follow Christ. I really did want him uh, to be my model. And I realized that my anger couldn't get me there. And I memorized those two verses. And as I memorized those verses, I began to be acutely aware when my temper was about to be riled up, when I was, uh, I was getting angry. I could feel it emotionally, almost like a cloud moving in. I could tell I was getting frustrated. A certain circumstance would set me off, and, and I could feel that. And as I remembered what those verses said, as I felt that cloud coming in, I just tuned into those verses more than I did the emotional feel of that anger. And it was amazing what began to happen. I began to say to myself, and I began to practice this, I don't have to live that way because I have a different spirit inside of me. And the Holy Spirit would remind me of these verses that I'd memorized. And as I confronted that feeling of anger coming upon me, I would cease feeling that anger and I would replace it with what the proper thing to do right would be. And often that meant just being quiet or it meant uh, sitting down and being peaceful instead of violent. And over the space of just three or four months at the age of 19, I watched God's power overcome my anger. Now let me tell you why I'm so grateful for that. Because a couple of years later I was married and then a few years after that we began to have children. We have six adult children today. And I could only imagine today if that anger had been allowed to run rampant the way it was before those encounters, then I would have damaged my wife and my relationship with her. I would have damaged my children in some way. And I would have been out of sync with God. Now, I'm just using anger as an example, but that's the process that the Bible points out that helps us change. I went from being an angry young man to a peaceful young man and a patient young man with a patience I never had before because of this divine process of obedience. I don't know what it is that uh, you have that you need changing. I don't know what emotional uh, feelings you have, whether it's frustration, it could be depression, it could be discouragement, it could, have been, it could be lust, it could be uh, just about anything. But I can tell you this that the divine process of, of obedience works. And when we're in sync with the power of God and the Spirit of God, He begins to transform us from the inside out. The Spirit influences the mind, brother, and emotions, which influence the actions and the words. And I promise you, your soul can prosper if you understand the power God has given you to help you. So this has been session two of The Prospering Soul. And I look forward for you joining me again. It becomes more and more applicable as we go to each next session. I promise you at the end of our Prospering Soul series, you can be a changed individual. Thank you for joining us on uh, our Prospering Soul series. <music>